Good morning. Good morning. As already has been said, I'm Martin, I'm from Maidstone. And uh, it's a great pleasure to be with you. <clears throat> as I was driving over here this morning, it was with some fear and trembling that my phone was going to go off to say there's been a water leak or the, <laughs> the roof has caved in or something else has intervened. And then I would have taken it personally from God that he was <laughs> wanting to stop me being here. But all things being equal, I'm here and we're looking at 1 John. So it's a, a delight to be with you. So if you've got your Bibles or your apps or your phones or whatever you do to read the Word of God today, do you want to turn to 1 John chapter 5? And we're going to be reading the first 12 verses together. If you're using the King James Version and uh, you notice you've got words that we don't use, then uh, maybe we can have a conversation afterwards and we can talk about why that is. And if you're intrigued, then you can come and see me afterwards. Also, sounds a bit like school, come and see me afterwards. I'm sorry about that. I'm not a teacher. When it comes to reading 1 John, we know it's a letter, it's an epistle, Uh, To the children of God, we quickly discover a few things. The first thing that we discover as we begin to read through it is there's no opening greetings. There's no introductions. There's no final greetings or mention of the author by name. It's a bit peculiar in that measure. Secondly, as we read through the letter, it's hard for us to begin to work out What is the train of thought that John is writing as he's writing to these believers that have been scattered about? Unlike Paul's letter and Peter's letters, there seems to be a a progression of thought that we can track through. When it comes to this letter that we've been looking at, or you've been looking at here, seeing the structure, seeing the pattern of thought is difficult to ascertain. From the 4th century with Augustine to John Calvin in the 16th century to modern day scholars, they've all been perplexed about what is going on in John's mind as he's writing this letter. Some around the time of the Reformation concluded this, and it made me laugh, so I thought I'd share it with you. The lack of clear scheme of organisation was seen as either the product of the Spirit's inspiration or the advanced age of the apostolic author. So either either Holy Spirit is wanting to do something through the uh, uh, Apostle John, or poor John, he's getting a little bit old, and he's just putting down his thoughts, and uh, we're not too sure why he's joining them together as he is. Let me say this, I don't think it's the aged John writing that has resulting in us having the letter that we have before us today. Very much on the contrary. John is writing in a very Hebraic way. Put your hands up if you've ever read a psalm. Some of you, that's really good to know. And as you read the psalms, quite often, what do we find? We find repetition of thought. Why? It's a, it's a, it's a method of the author of the psalms to help us to reflect again and again and again on the same themes. Quite often, psalms go, go through, through different phases but always come back to a central theme and that's what we see here in John's letter. John is helping us to reflect on the person and work of Jesus Christ and the impact of who Jesus is on the life of the believers. To do this he uses love, he uses light to help us understand who we are and who he is and what he has done. Why mention this? Well as I speak this morning you may sit there thinking we've heard this before. And if that's the case, I say, good, that was John's intent. 
we're going through a letter where John is wanting us time and again to, to revisit the same truths, the same themes, the same imagery to help us to really understand who we are in him. Repetition is built in so that we can understand and grapple with what John is trying to encourage us with. We have already heard, and I say it again, John writes that the readers may know increased joy and have assurance in their salvation in Jesus Christ. John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have everlasting life. John was writing that his hearers would have confidence in who God is, what God has done, and who they are in the light of it. He's writing in a time where there are many false teachers, many people preaching other gospels, denying certain aspects of Jesus. Docetism was rife around the church. People that denied the physicality of Jesus, they they agreed that there was a Jesus, but he was God, he wasn't human. He just looked like a human. He was like a hologram or a ghost. Couple that with Gnosticism where the physical is to be rejected and the spiritual is to be clung onto. There was confusion in the church. And John is writing to combat some of this error that's out there to help us understand who Jesus truly was and to bring assurance to those who I'm sure were becoming confused by the noise that was going around the gospel of Jesus Christ. So today as we read 1 John, we will see John bringing assurance to those who have faith in Jesus. We will see him confirm the humanity, his divinity, as well as the actions of God and the response of the believers. So shall we begin? 1 John 5 verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We'll pause there. John begins by bringing assurance to those who have faith in Jesus Christ. He expresses clearly that believing is a consequence of something that God has already done. The cause of God making us alive results in belief in those who have faith. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. It's not believe in Jesus Christ and then you'll be born again. It's God makes us alive and our response to being made alive is faith in Christ. Our present and continual activity of faith in God is a response of what he has done in us. When Jesus spent some time with a man called Nicodemus, he was part of the ruling council. He was a Pharisee. He came to Jesus at night because he wasn't seeking to trap Jesus, but learn from Jesus. Because he recognized there's something about this Jesus that I don't understand about God and his kingdom. Whilst talking, Jesus said these words to him. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't see the kingdom unless you're born again. 
Nicodemus is confused. He says to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time to his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's not about a second physical birth, but it is about a spiritual rebirth. Unless God, by his spirit, cleanses us and makes us spiritually alive, we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. This is what Jesus is saying by water and by spirit. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. I remember I was about 11 years old and uh, it was a Monday evening. i just done some gymnastics. You can just imagine it, can't you? Uh, vaulting over boxes and all that malarkey. And uh, I remember leaning up against a trestle table at the back of a small hall, putting on one of my socks when I thought to myself, it's all true. It's all true. I'd grown up in church. I'd heard about Jesus. I knew God from what I'd been taught. I I, I can never say that I didn't have faith, but at that point I knew this is true. Jesus, you are true. You are the way to everlasting life, and I believe in you. From that point, I remember every opportunity that uh, was afforded me, I would make to respond to the gospel. In Maidstone, we had Eric Delve down to earth, him in his brown bomber jacket. He loved it, and he kept it right to the end. And, uh, and he'll preach a message, and uh, I'd come down from the back of the bleachers just to, just to confirm, I am yours, Jesus. It didn't take long before I realized I don't need to do this because I am yours. I had assurance of faith. So many Christians never get to that place. When we're doing well, when we're feeling good, when we're feeling like we're following God's ways, we have assurance Yet when things are tough and we're walking in darkness and we feel a little bit estranged from God, we have no assurance whatsoever. John wants us to know that because we believe in Jesus, because he says, I believe in you, Jesus, it's because God has worked beforehand in us. He has already done a work in us and made us alive in him. If you believe in Jesus today, you have been born again. You will see the kingdom of God, because of what God has already done in you. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, they were confused about spiritual matters, and he brings this clarification to them. No one speaks to the spirit, uh, no one speaks in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. If you can say Jesus is Lord, it's because Holy Spirit has worked in you and brought you to a place where you know you are born again in Him. It's good news. Isn't it? I think it's good news. Our belief, our faith in Jesus Christ is the consequence of the work that God has already done in us. He caused us to be alive and our response is to profess faith in him. Not my faith has produced new life in him. The Apostle Paul writes it in this way. Ephesians 2, I'm sure you know it so well. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has lavished us with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. While we were dead, while we could do nothing about our circumstances, we were looking for nothing or no one, God made us alive. Was it in response to what we had done? No, it's a gift of grace. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, You have been saved. Grace is unmerited, undeserved, 
done nothing for it, nothing to deserve it. It's freely bestowed from God to us. It'll be like me taking a £20 note. I thought I had a £50 note at home, but I didn't. Many of you may have £50 a note, but I found this at home and I thought, it'd be like me taking it and deciding, actually, I'm going to give this away. Hugh, I, I saw you earlier and I thought, I'm just going to give it to you. There we go, Hugh. <laughs> Firstly, Hugh's a little bit worried. He's like, how do you know my name? It's not a prophetic word. I asked your dad. Um, <laughs> and now you're sat there feeling a little bit uncomfortable. What do you want me to do? And the reality is I don't want you to do anything at all. And it ends the service when you try and come and give it back to me. I don't want you to give it back to me because it's a gift to you. You've done nothing to earn it. You don't deserve it. I just want to give it to you. So it's a free gift. There you go. Enjoy it. You've got a choice. Do I tuck it away and frame it and do nothing with it? Or do I enjoy the benefits of the gift that's been given to me? Some of you may be thinking, well, that's unfair. Why did you get 20 pounds? <laughs> All I can say is in Romans, it says, the Lord does what the Lord does. You see... The gift of grace, the grace gift of faith that is ours, is God's gift to us. We don't earn it, we don't deserve it, we can't add to it, we can't diminish from it. It's freely from him, and he makes us alive. Just like the gift I've given, enjoy. Be baffled for a while, we can talk later if you like. But enjoy. And that's where we are to be, knowing that we have faith because of him, not because of me and the decision I made, leaning against the table, putting a sock on one Monday evening. The Apostle Peter writes it like this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of his blood. I'm writing to the church, Peter says, those who the Father foreknew before the foundation of the world, those that the Spirit worked in to bring them to obedience in faith in Jesus Christ. What does it tell us in two verses? God has saved us. Peter says it. Paul says it. John says it. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born again. God has worked and we've responded as we've been made alive. It's good news, isn't it? God wants us to have assurance in who we are in him. Knowing clearly that our life in him is because he has so worked in us. An undeserved gift. Because I didn't earn it. It's dependent on him. Because I didn't make the decision but he worked in me, it's dependent on him. So I can go forward when I'm having my highs and my lows, the good days and bad days, knowing I've been chosen by God. Before I've done anything to merit it, God made me alive with Christ. And everything I do in response... Are you listening, Hugh? Everything I do in response to the few free gift that's been given is not out of obligation. What must I now do to, to pay back the money that you've given me, the gift that you've been given? But everything I do now in response is because I love him. You don't need to declare that, don't worry. <laughs> and it's not out of how do I earn this, because you can't earn it. And if you try and earn it, you diminish it. And it no longer becomes a, a free gift. John wants us to be assured, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. He moves on. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. New life brings new love. Love for God and love for those that he has also made alive for his church. 
It's a family relational thing. We've heard about it already this morning. Our family ties with God and one another unites us and we're to love one another. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, they've broken bread, they've shared wine, they've remembered the Passover. Judas gets up and leaves the table and Jesus says this to his disciples. A new command I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus speaks the true mark of discipleship is the way that we treat one another, the way that we love one another. If we've been born again and we love God, we love one another. We love the children of God. This is John's thought. This is what Jesus says. People know who you are by the way that you love each other. In the Old Testament, we have in Leviticus, we have the law that says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus quotes this when he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, soul, body and mind and love your neighbour as yourself. This is what encapsulates the whole of the Old Testament. But here Jesus raises the bar considerably. Not just love each other as you love yourselves, but Jesus says that you're to love each other just as I have loved you. Raising the bar considerably. John has already covered this in his letter. 1 John 4, 10 to 11. This is love, not that we have loved God, but that he's loved us and sent his son as a propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, don't you just love that word? Say it to each other and try not to spit. It's a great thing to do. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is love. God loved us. He sent his son, Jesus, to die in our place out of the cross, Atonement was made. The price was paid for our sin. Jesus was the propitiation for our sins. All the wrong things you've ever done, all the things you're going to do in the future, all the things that cause separation from God, where God's judgment is going to come against your actions, Jesus bore on the cross. This is what John is communicating. He took all the wrath of God, all of God's anger because of sin. He appeased the wrath of God and God's anger, anger, leaving God's love, delight, mercy for you. So no matter what you do, you do not get what you deserve for the actions that you take. Because if you believe in Jesus, he has paid the price for us all. That is good news. Love cleans up the rubbish and doesn't hold onto it for another day. That's good news, isn't it? That's who we are in Jesus. This love is not a response from God to us for something that we have done. He first loved us. This is love. That he first loved us and gave his son as a propitiation for our sins. It's his act towards us before we could do anything to merit it. Love is not self-serving, but sacrificial. Love is not merited, but a gift of grace, undeserved favour. Love is not what I can get, but what I can give. Love is not I will if you will. Love gives regardless. If God, who is perfect and holy, could love us, who had turned their backs on him, discarded his ways rejected relationship with him, abused the very gift that he had given, nailing his son to the cross. How much easier should it be for us to love one another? 
We are to love not as we love ourselves, but as he has loved us. We are to love one another. Not because of merit, you've earned it. Not because it's easy, but it's sacrificial. Not for what we can get out of it. I'll be kind to you because you might benefit me somehow. Nor because others love us first. But because he commanded it. A new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. John continues in 1 John 5. For this is love that God uh, that we keep. For this is love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You see, the byproduct of God's love for us is our love for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Have a look around the room. They're the people we're to love. Everyone here looks very easy to get on with. Easy to love. But it's also the people meeting in the church down the roads. Or across the globe. Some who we agree with, some who we disagree with theologically. We're to love one another in a way that he has loved us. Love is a byproduct of God's love for us. The second product is that we become overcomers of the world and we walk in obedience to God. If we truly love God, we will not only love his children, but find ourselves carrying out his commandments and overcoming the distractions and trappings of this world. Some would see the ways of the Christian as burdensome, but over 30 years of walking with Jesus, I've discovered that following his ways brings fullness of life, not restrict me and tie me down to a heavy load that I must carry. Following after him brings joy and delight, purpose that goes beyond the immediate into the everlasting. Following him is not burdensome. Following what he's commanded is a delight as we know him, as we understand his heart, and as we journey with him, we can see purposes beyond our wildest expectations. For those that love God, follow his waves and overcome the trappings of this world. How? Through faith. I'm going to choose to keep holding on to you and what you have said, and I follow after you. Spurgeon writes this. Look at the Greek lexicons, um, any of the Greek lexicons that you like, and you will find that the word faith does not merely mean to believe, but to trust, to confide in, to commit to, entrust with, and so forth. The very marrow of the meaning of faith is confidence in and reliance upon God. The very marrow, I love it, of the meaning of faith is confidence in and reliance upon God. This is who we are called to in response to what he has done. Walking with him, loving others and doing what he commands us to do. Placing our trust in him and following his ways even if we understand it or not. We face many pressures in this world today. Temptations, moral pressures. The way the world sees the world is very different to how we see the world. 
Yet we're not to conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds, allowing God to shape us and change us. In this world, there are many temptations, pleasures that we can choose to give ourselves to. Many that hold with, with riches and rewards, yet if they're pursued, will lead to brokenness and dissatisfaction. We are to follow his ways, to hold on to Christ and walk as he has commanded us to do. How do we overcome the moral patterns of this world? We remain close to God. How do we avoid temptations in this world? We remain close to God. Unlike the day of John where, where the, the physical was rejected and the spiritual grabbed hold of, we live in a materialistic world, do we not? Where the latest is the best. Where many get their values and worth from what they have. If I have this, I will be complete. The little S on the iPhone 10s makes all the difference and it will just make me. If I have that, then I will feel good about who I am. Because I have nice things. If I have this, then that group of people over there will accept me. If I have that, then that will just demonstrate I'm better than all the rest of you. The problem is the new becomes old. The latest becomes antiquated. I remember when I got my first iPhone, it was so cool. I don't know if it even works anymore. The new becomes old and the latest becomes antiquated. There is no lasting satisfaction in material alone. Where do we go for our wholeness, for our worth, for acceptance, for value? We go to God. We remain connected with him. Can we overcome these trappings of this world? Yes, in Christ. How do we overcome? Through faith, holding on to him and what he has said and walking in his ways, walking in obedience, because this will bring us fullness of life. Our faith is a gift from God. Having been born again, we can love him. We can love each other. We can follow his ways and know life everlasting. It's good news, isn't it? Ah, do I do the second half? I do, and I'm going to do it really quickly. Are you ready? John continues. This is he who comes by water and blood. Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify. The, this is where the King James has some more. We'll move on beyond that. The Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he is not believing in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. For this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son does, or does, does not have the Son of God does not have life. John writing in the context where Jesus' humanity is being denied. John declares Jesus has come by water and blood. He's really real, you know. He was born of Mary through water. He died on the cross. His blood was shed. Yet he rose again. 
There are many who've interpreted water and blood and spirit in different ways. Maybe it's talking about communion. Maybe it's talking about Jesus' death on the cross where water and blood fled from his side. The, uh, maybe it's talking about baptism and communion. There are many different thoughts in, in the years that people have been reflecting on this. The best fit seems to be Jesus' birth and his death. He really was a real man. He really did live. Three testimonies to who he was and is. The first is water. He really was born. He did live. He did exist. There are many today who deny the existence of Jesus. Jesus doesn't exist. Jesus never existed. Jesus has been made up. To deny the existence of Jesus is untenable for any serious scholar of history. Jesus is historically irrefutable. Amy Gill Levine, an Orthodox Jew who's less than Orthodox in her practice. She described herself, uh, herself as a Yankee um, Jewish feminist that teaches in the school of divinity in the buckle of the Bible belt. She's not a follower of Jesus, yet she writes this. She summarized the scholar's situation about Jesus. There is a consensus of sorts on the basic outline of Jesus' life. In that most scholars agree that Jesus was baptised by John the Baptist. And over the period of one to three years, he debated Jewish authorities on the subject of God. He gathered followers and was crucified by the Roman prefect Pontius Pilate, who officiated in 26 to 36 AD. Scholars across the world, anyone that gives any credit to ancient sources, agree Jesus existed. He really was born. He really did live. He was baptised. He was crucified. He debated about the kingdom and person of God. And others gathered to him. They would further agree that he ministered in Galilee and Judea. He had controversies in the Jewish temple. After his death, his followers continued to talk about his teachings. And many of his followers were persecuted. Jesus really existed. It's undeniable. And even non-believers would say it is foolish to claim anything other. Because the evidence is there for us. Second witness was his blood. He really did die on the cross, yet appeared again. The Jewish historian um, uh, Josephus records Jesus' life. He records Jesus' death and what happens at the hour uh, on the cross. He, he talks about how Jesus was buried and how he rose again and was appeared to many disciples afterwards. Those who, who believed in Jesus and follow after him, they gave the rest of their lives to talking about him and what he had done. They talked about how he had risen from the grave and how we can have everlasting life. As he was raised again, so we will be raised again. Many of whom gave their lives for this message. If they knew it to be false, not many, if any, would have laid down their lives for it. Yet they laid down their lives. We know Jesus really existed physically through his birth, through his death, and thirdly, by the work of the Spirit. God, by his spirit, helps us know and understand who Jesus was and is. That's what happened that day when I was putting my sock on. I know you are who you say you are. 
a work of the Spirit to make in your life. And many of us can testify to the true thing, the truth that Jesus is alive, that Jesus really does exist, and that we have relationship with him today. Jesus was a real man. He is the Son of God. He still lives today, and we can know life in his name. This leaves us with a dilemma. You see, Jesus made some outrageous claims. He said on one occasion when a man was lowered through the roof that he would heal him. Which is easier to say to this paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. He rose and he immediately picked up his bed and he went out before them all. Can Jesus really forgive sins? Is this what we see in this occasion with this paralytic man? Jesus also said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do we have everlasting life if we believe in Jesus? John writes this, and we land with this. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe has made made him a liar. Because as he, as he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. We can say, well I don't know it's true, I don't believe it's true. Spurgeon says, you're calling God a liar. Are you so sure that you would call God a liar? Because God's word, God's testimony is Jesus is the son of God. Are we so confident in our assertions? God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. And whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. It's simple, folks. If you know Jesus today, it's because God has made you alive. And God wants you to have assurance of your faith in the high days and the low days. If you know him, he wants you to know that he is continuing to make people alive by his spirit. So as we go tomorrow and we serve other groups that I can't remember, Angels was one of them, Little Angels. Little Angels, fantastic. And the, uh, what's the other one? Make Lunch. So we go there wanting to do good work so as people see our good deeds, they praise our Father in heaven, yeah? So how's that going to happen? We pray, God, by your spirit, would you make them alive today? Because it's you who brings us to faith and our faith is a response to what you have done. May we all be praying for your activities tomorrow. If you don't know Jesus today, if you haven't called on him to be Lord, he is the way to everlasting life. Belief in Jesus. And I encourage you to ask God, God, if you are there, would you make yourself known? And would you help me to see who your son was and is? And may I know the life that he says I can have if I believe in him. And I believe that God would make himself known to you. That's what he's done for so many throughout the centuries. Can I invite you to stand? Can I invite the um, bands to come back up? We're going to pray and then sing a song of worship in response to our God, who is a gracious God who makes us alive. But before we do that, I want us to pray and ask God to help each one of us. Maybe we lack assurance of our faith. May God help us know more today. Maybe we feel we're drowning in the temptations of the world, that we're no longer overcoming the world, but are drowning in the midst of the world. 
he can help us as we cling on to him. Or maybe we just have a yearning for someone close to us to come to know Jesus. That we know that they are separate from him. Let's pray that God by his spirit will be at work in them today. So shall we pray? Father, we begin by thanking you. That you are a God who saves us. Father, we thank you that you loved us so much. You sent your son Jesus to die for us. Father, we thank you that you have made us alive and the response is our faith to you and we praise you for that. I pray for myself and my friends here. May we know assurance of faith today in you. And Father, you say those who love you, love one another. Father, I pray, would you help us with our relationships to love as you loved us, Jesus. Father, where we're holding on to things where others have wronged us that is causing separation. Father, would you pray, would you melt them away? Mm. And would you cause us to be united in Christ? Father, where we're looking for others to act first, would you cause us to act first? Just as you did, Jesus, in laying down your life for us. God, may we be known as a community who love each other. Who have grace and mercy for one another. Who demonstrate the kind of love that you have demonstrated to us. And Father, we ask by your spirit, would you help us today if we are drowning in the temptations and pleasures of this world? Father, would you help us to be overcomers? Would you transform our minds? Would you help us with our actions? Would you help us to be those who obey your commandments, follow your ways, and know fullness of life? Father, I pray that for those who don't know you, or maybe those that we're thinking of that we know that don't know you, Father, would you be at work today by your Spirit, and would you make yourself known? Would you cause scales to fall off eyes and people to see you? Would you cause hearts to beat for the first time in love and response to you? And may their response be faith, love and obedience. God, we thank you for the amazing gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the hope both now and eternal we have in you. And we ask, help us to grow in you today and the days to come. And may we, as we live for you, shine your light into the darkness. And may, be, may others be drawn to you for their salvation and for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen.